This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. He was gone. He was off to the races. Just when you thought it was going to be a huge play, a big missed field goal return up the left. Talk about an explosive sudden change play. This place is deadly quiet right now. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. I'm Greg Mackling. We are heading into Banjo Bowl weekend, but Doug, we cannot look forward without looking back. The Labor Day Classic, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, were they outclassed by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on the field, or was it just a matter of there was about six minutes there where the Blue Bombers simply forgot what, what the business trip was all about? Yeah, I think anytime you get down by 21 points in the first quarter of play, you just got overwhelmed by, you know, and I I think no matter how prepared you are going into the Liberty Classic, playing at Mosaic Stadium, it's easy to be overwhelmed. You think you're ready, you think you're prepared, but it just, it's so loud, there's so much noise, there's so much energy. And it just snowballed. The total snowball effect on this football team, uh, in turn, you know, giving up a touchdown, giving up an interception that led to another touchdown, giving up a punt return. It was just an onslaught, and they couldn't do anything about it. And you know, eventually they righted the ship and and made it um, more of a respectable football game. But if you want to, it's really hard to come back uh, from holes in professional football, uh, especially when one's 21 points, especially when it's the Labor Day Classic in Regina. Incredibly difficult to come back after you've dug yourself uh, beneath a mountain like that. The, the fans just aren't going to stand for it, aren't going to allow you too much energy from those players, too much pride over there. Just too hard of a game for for Winnipeg to mount any kind of comeback. In. Now I know you can't magically implant two different plays or a handful of plays into the game and go. Well, if only we would have capitalized on the opportunity in the red zone when Darvin Adams dropped the clear touchdown pass at the back of the end zone, and if only Matt Nichols hadn't thrown that interception near the end of the game. Well, we could have had a tie game. Uh, that is clearly the case, but. Football doesn't work like that because you can't account for what Saskatchewan might have done in a counterpunch had Adam scored the touchdown. So, so where do we sort this all out? Was it was it just some breakdowns? You mentioned the the the, the Dembski punt return, the pick six by Nichols. What was the key play in that sequence of of three bad things that went wrong for the Bombers in that first? Quarter? Well, I, th- I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers just got away from their identity. Their identity is is ball security, ball control. Um, when you lose the turnover battle, four to one. There you go. In a nutshell, you know that's not their style of play. They've been successful exclusively in the CFL when they're consistently winning. That it started last year with all the ter- all the takeaways they had defensively, how secure they were with the the football last year, and it's carried over this year to a lesser degree. But when they win that battle, they win football games. They're not that explosive offense. They put up a lot of points, but they do it piece by piece, chunk by chunk, and and they chase it down. So they're not the kind of offense that's well situated. They're front runners, right? They can nickel and dime you. They can they can win the time of possession. They can maintain that lead, but they're not the kind of offense that's going to be able to explode and and come back in in big chunks and overcome a huge deficit. 
So when we look at the uh, offense and going against that uh, three-man rush and Chris Jones dropping nine players, you mentioned the dink and dunk, the short stuff. That's kind of what the bread and butter is of the Blue Bomber offense, but it's difficult to come back, as you mentioned, against a defense like that. It's sort of the CFL's version of the neutral zone trap in the National Hockey League where, yeah, you know what, we might be up one goal. We're going to protect that one goal lead until the bitter and and that's sort of what Saskatchewan doing. Maybe you can help us understand it a little bit more, the the, the idea of this uh, three-man front and nine players back in coverage. Well, it's a perfect defense to play if you have a big lead because you need points in a hurry. You need big chunks of yardage. You need explosive plays downfield, plays that are 20 yards or more. And if they're lining up you know, nine or ten guys 12 yards deep, What's open and available to you is everything underneath, and then they just come downhill and, and, and tackle. So in a game where you're not behind early, uh, you know, them rushing two or three, hey, what do you do? You pound that football, you make them respect that line of scrimmage, you force them to come and put more people in the box because you should be able to run at will, power football, um, underneath stuff, you know, whether it's Andrew Harris, whoever else. You maximize that game. You force them to not be able to drop those kind of people by what you're doing to them in the running game. But the problem in this game, obviously, down by 21 in the first quarter, that just plays into the hands and the styles exactly what this defense wants to do. Kevin Glenn sure looked good for the most yeah, part. He, he had he had a rough. Uh, he outplayed Matt Nichols for sure. He did, uh, but there was an opportunity there. It wasn't outstanding in that third quarter. But I want to go back to the, something you said off the top in the beginning of the game. You know, Saskatchewan, the crowd, the noise, the environment, the atmosphere. You're not prepared for that. I mean, most of the guys on both teams have played in front of 60, 70, 80,000 people in their collegiate career if they've never done so in professional football. So is that atmosphere in Saskatchewan, does it mimic a 60, 70,000 seat stadium somehow? Or is it just the overall, the entire thing, and then we will get to the elephant in the room, the two least, most least penalized teams in the Canadian Football League, Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, monkeying with the rules a little bit. But first, this whole mosaic factor. You know, I just think that football team responds and... uh you know, can really be motivated by that crowd energy and noise that is behind them. Uh, the the pride in that place, in that city, that brand new stadium, so on and so forth. They've already lost a game to the Bombers there. It just wasn't going to happen this time. And uh, you have to be that much better when you go on the road. It's, it's easily, in my estimation, all the years I've played football, all the different places I've played, got to be the hardest place to play in just because it requires your mental focus to be that much more to overcome all that adversity. And like I say, their players just channel that that energy, that passion, uh, that will from their fan base, and, and you see it translate on the field. I think one of the biggest surprises, people always say, you know, you go into Labor Day, I, I won three of my first four, and then we lost seven in a row going down there. And they're like, wow, were you guys uh, underestimating the opposition and it was never that we weren't prepared enough. We were always just surprised by how the that team had elevated their game, how they were that much better than they'd showed in previous contests. Something magical about that game, and that's what makes it so exciting. And that's what makes it so rewarding if you are able to take a win out of there. 
So let's talk about what happened outside the game, outside the whistle, but inside the lines. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have had a tremendous amount of success with their hurry-up offense, getting teams off balance by rushing to the line of scrimmage. Doug, you've been there, you played the game, and you know that one of the ways teams combat an offense like that is to um, have timely injuries, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Career called it a time-honored tradition. Talk about that part of it. This is not something that's brand new. Teams faking injuries, taking a knee in order to get a little bit of extra time at strategic points in the ballgame. Yeah, but to the degree, the deliberateness, the specificness, and, and the number of times we saw them do it exclusively just against that one hurry-up segment of the of the Winnipeg offense, that was really the impetus for anything I wrote and or my observation I had about, hey, this is starting to take away from the integrity of this football game because... Yes, obviously I've been on football teams where I've seen guys go down that were probably just winded and just tired and you know it gave your defense an opportunity to regroup. But to do that every time an offense goes into a specific formation or or a tempo change every single time without fail. I mean we saw up in the booth there was probably three or four instances where automatically that happened. It was like it was triggered, right? And uh, so very different when it's actually game planned that, hey, as soon as they do this, this is what we're going to do. And it has nothing to do with football, right? It's something outside. For instance, uh, I think a good analogy is if I'm playing defense, I'm a middle linebacker and say we're, we have zero coverage. So we have no deep safety help. Okay. And I see the offense motion to empty and go in a six receiver set. So I just take my helmet off or I flop on the ground. I say, oh, there was a B in my helmet or, or I passed out. That's better than giving up seven points, right? It's just outside of the game. And like I said, it'd be one thing if you saw it happen once and it was actually before the Bombers ran up to the line of scrimmage and were about, you know, if it had happened at the end of a play before they tried to uh, change the tempo and speed things up, but it was Oh, whoa, they're doing that thing again that they do five to seven times a game where after a first down, they sprint to the line of scrimmage and they try to run another play as quickly as possible. Well, they had a counter built in and that was had to have been part of the game plan for that game. Hey, we got a guy, go down, you're going to be out three plays, no problem. We got him out of that. And we were broadcasting right next to Paul Apolis, who is obviously up there in the booth, and you should have seen how angry he was getting, and, and rightfully so, because for me, like I say, there are these little ways to cheat and gain an edge and so on and so forth, but this took it too far. This was more overt and more frequent and more obvious than and, and more specific than anything I'd seen in all the years I'd played and watched football. Football is a game where players, coaches, organizations are famous for stretching the limits, stretching maybe even the spirit of different penalties, different rulings, different ways of going about things. And even you, I can see we're five days later, four days later, you're still upset about this. <laughs> I just think it has no place in the game. I think it, it takes away uh, from the game. I think it, it affects the integrity of, of football. I think it's a slippery slope. I think think of all the things you can do now where you might just have a guy lie down because it's a it's a disadvantage for your unit out in the football field. So you're just going to lie down and fake something. It's just it's uh 
it can really snowball, and you just hate to see that. You know, you, you just want to see teams out there. If you're a purist of football, you don't like this kind of garbage happening on the football field to that extent. Now, you've taken a lot of heat. <laughs> Social media has uh, obviously shrunk the world, right? Because you, you get to hear from everybody. That's right. Ten years ago, this would have been what we would have called a bulletin board fodder for either team. What's going on? You have Deron Carter suggesting that uh, Blue Bomber fans spat on him at one point in the game or the pregame. The story seems to be changing exactly when it happened. Uh, Gainer the Gopher, uh, the guy in the costume just about decapitated. Not the guy in the costume. The Gopher himself by some Blue Bomber fans maybe trying to take his head off literally. But you of all the individuals associated either with the broadcast of the game, the coverage of the game, or playing of the game has been come up under the most fire from Saskatchewan fans. And I know you got a list there of some of the best tweets. <laughs> well, I want to do, you know, you have the Jimmy Kimmel thing, right? On yeah. late night television, right? You, right. Have, you have the, where he has people come on and mean and tweets, read, read mean tweets about themselves, right? So um, I are got you a number. To, are you prepared to do this, Doug Brown? <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. Like I said, you, you. I'm kind of paid right now in my, uh, it's not my full-time vocation, but I am, uh, as a part-time employee, it's it's my job to express my observations and condemnations and, and thoughts on a football game. And even though I do not think in any way, shape, or form that the faking of injuries was the reason they lost that game. They lost that game because they turned the ball over four times, they got outplayed, they were in a difficult atmosphere, had nothing to do with it. But I was just sharing my distaste and disgust for what I was observing on the football field. And wow, if there's one team you cannot be critical of in any way, shape, or form, it's going to be, well, and, and then let's not all Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans, right? Most of them, I would say the vast majority, understand that football is an entertainment product. It's a game, and uh, granted, for the people that are making their livelihoods off of it, 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 it escalates beyond that. But the rest of us are just observers and fans that are casually employed or just watching for the sake of the entertainment that it brings. And so I was just like, oh, I have to do the, a segment, Jimmy Kimmel Live, mean tweets. I've got a top 10 here. If you could give me the, the number countdown, I will read the name and the remark. I, I'm very excited about that. Jerry Richardson, our master producer, will insert some outstanding music that here <laughs> without any question. I have no doubt, Doug, in our minds that's playing as you give me 10. Number 10 from Jennifer Broughton. Oh, Lord, you're stupid. What a stupid thing to be proud of. This is when uh, we were talking about the... Uh, uh, one of the things that happened in the game where they were doing a, a potato chip promotion and they were shooting chips up into the stands and very much like in baseball or hockey at Wrigley Field when, in particular you, know, you throw that back onto the field you don't want it you know and it was hilarious because the Bomber fans were on the road right it wasn't their home barn but they were still rejecting anything from Saskatchewan so I put out a tweet thinking that was hilarious I was like hashtag respect and people lost their mind that I was encouraging Bomber fans to throw things on the field, even though it was just the chips that were being shut up in bags at them, and they put them back on the field. So. Part of the problem, Saskatchewan fans, uh, they weren't old Dutch chips. You see, we prefer <laughs> old Dutch here in Manitoba. Mean tweets to Doug Brown. Nine. Number nine comes from uh, RJ Johnson Jr. Brown condoning throwing stuff in field and beer snakes. 
Obviously not a journalist, just a bitter old once was didn't win player. That's a lot of descriptors in one sentence there. That's number nine. Um, most of them inaccurate. This comes from Jen. Jen was uh, Jen's got a lot of these actually. Shut up, Doug. You're a disgrace to the CFL. Short, succinct, to the point. You gotta love it. Seven. Number seven from Jenny. Doug is stupid and should stay away from the keyboard. <laughs> Doug is stupid. Doug is not stupid. Six. Jenny again. Doug is one of the dumbest people on the planet. Jenny has got your number, 867 you know, and number 5. The funniest thing is a lot of these are from women. The Rider Nation uh, does not discriminate. That man. small percentage that, that gets really bent out of shape, a lot of the females. 5. Number 5 uh, comes from Glenn Zabo. If you played with the intensity that y'all have been crying the past 24 hours, you might have won a great cup. 4. Number 4 comes from Hope Van Besselaire. That's a terrible article. Hashtag CFL. Hashtag CFL washup. Three. From Blitzkrieg Warmacht. Doug Brown has never been accused of being a smart person. That's why he's in Winnipeg, home of the morons. Always been a sissy loser. <laughs> Just a side note. <laughs> Just a side note here, I was in Regina for four days and not a single person came up to me and said anything. In fact, I usually have a great time with Saskatchewan fans when I'm uh, in Regina for the Labor Day Classic. Let's go to the next. Oh, well, I wanted to get marketing before we move ahead. Oh. The Blue Bomber pa podcast with the Sissy Loser. Can we work on that? No? Yeah, that's a good promo for us. Two. Number two. Uh, this comes from Marlene. Curious, Doug. When you had a cramp and went down... Did you think you were doing something disgraceful and were unsportsmanlike? Question mark. Bet you didn't. <laughs> you know, and that's... <laughs> in 15 years of playing professional football as a defensive lineman, we're not actually required to run that much. So I've actually never had a cramp <laughs> in pro football in every, in, you know, the, the couple hundred games that I played in. It actually didn't happen, so I'm very sorry to disappoint her, but I would feel shame and unsportsmanlike. You know, and honestly, you don't come after the, in the article I wrote, it's not about the players. I don't have a problem with the players going down because I know players are instructed by their coaches. Coaches tell a player what to do in pro football, guess what? You do it. Unless you're a guy, unless you're a Milt Stiegel and can say, no coach, sorry, that's not happening. For the most part, you have to do what your coaches tell you. So as, as a player, like I say, the, the, the criticism is not that the player followed his instruction. It's that the coach thought, hey, this is the only way we can actually defend what they're doing against us. So that's the disappointment. The list of players that could say, no, coach, I'm not doing that is very short. Will you at least admit to a brain cramp or two? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I hit those. Uh, every 97 seconds, I would say in this podcast, I have at least a minor one. I love it. And the so. number one mean tweet directed at Doug Brown 97 on Twitter. <sighs> Drum roll, please. Here we go. One. And our favorite, uh, Jenny, this is her third on this list. Doug is a tool. He should have his brain examined. Football obviously took a toll. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for that. So, Well, hopefully Jen will be at IGF uh, this weekend and she can see what real <laughs> football fans look like. You know, um, I just want to conclude this segment by saying arguing with this small percentage of Ryder fans that are very vocal on Twitter, not in person, on Twitter only. It's like playing chess with a pigeon. Okay? No matter what happens, they're going to crap all over the board and strut around like they own the thing. So there you go. 
Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Mackling for Brown, Blue Bomber Podcast, 204-780-6868. Type in the word banjo for your opportunity to get to the banjo bowl at IGF this weekend. If you're listening to the podcast after Saturday, I apologize. We'll get you in for some other tickets as well. So don't hesitate. Banjo 204-780-6868. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Everything you need to know about your Winnipeg Blue Bombers brought to you by a CFL Hall of Fame player. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Subscribe now in iTunes. Its roots do not extend as deep as those of the Labor Day Classic. Brian Turner's had a spectacular game and he's got a huge quarterback sack. This is uh, my first banjo win since I've been here. It has only been around since 2004, while the first annual Labor Day weekend grudge match was played in Regina back in 1949. And the home team is certainly not dominated in the same fashion. The Rough Riders convincing 38-24 win over Winnipeg last Sunday, they're 35th against only 18 losses. The Blue Bombers, well, they have a slight 7-6 edge in 13 previous Banjo Bowl matchups. It's in the air, and it's good. 35-yard Milo field goal. The Riders lead 30-15. But for Bomber Nation, the Banjo Bowl has become the focal point of their team's home schedule. I mean, the crowd was amazing tonight. You know, I mean, this is my first Banjo Bowl, and I was excited, man. You know, the, you know, I tried to hold it in, you know, during the week. You know, you didn't want to get too high, but after the game, you know, walking out here, you know, during kickoff, the fans were going nuts. You are so right, Jamal Westerman, because Saturday will mark the 13th consecutive time the Banjo Bowl has been sold out. It began with former Bomber place kicker Troy Westwood's comment about banjo picking inbreds from Regina prior to the 2003 West Division semifinal at Taylor Field, which, by the way, was won 37-21 by the Rough Riders. And according to Westwood, he actually stole that insult from a Vancouver sports writer who earlier in the season had labeled the Blue Bombers as banjo-picking inbreds from the Prairies. Westwood only fueled the fire later that winter by apologizing because half the people in Saskatchewan don't even know how to play the banjo. Now we should point out, Troy's mom is from Regina and he has plenty of family members in Saskatchewan, so these comments were made tongue-in-cheek, but that did not calm the outrage from our neighbors to the left. So the Banjo Bowl became reality early the following year when former Winnipeg Football Club chairman of the board David Asper seized upon the idea for establishing an annual special event game in Winnipeg. The first one in 2004, a back-and-forth affair with the Blue Bombers eventually pulling off a 27-24 win the star of that show, Charles Roberts, with a Banjo Bowl record 159-yard rushing performance for a pair of touchdowns. He nearly had a third when Milt Stiegel recovered a blink fumble at the Saskatchewan one-yard line for Winnipeg's first-ever Banjo Bowl touchdown on the final play of the first quarter. It has been give and take ever since. No team winning more than back-to-back games. 
and besides Roberts, there have been some great and not-so-great performances. Riders running back Kenton Keith caught eight passes for a Banjo Bowl record 141 yards in 2006, albeit in a losing cause, the Blue Bombers pulling off a 27-23 win in Banjo Bowl three. Weston Dressler came very close to setting a new standard last year, his first season as a Blue Bomber, when he had seven receptions for 135 yards, just six shy of the record. Dressler isn't the only player to have switched uniforms in this battle of supposed prairie have-nots. Three different quarterbacks have played for both teams, including Michael Bishop, who threw for a record 370 yards for Saskatchewan in 2008. But the following year, Bishop was in blue and gold, didn't even hit triple digits with just 98 yards passing in the most lopsided Banjo Bowl to date. Saskatchewan embarrassed the Bombers and silenced the Canadian Stadium crowd with a 55-10 blowout victory. Kevin Glenn has also stood on both sides of the fence for this grudge match, as has Drew Willey, who threw for 360 yards in 2014 in his only appearance for Winnipeg. Perhaps the guy who has the least fond memory of the Banjo Bowl? Blue Bombers quarterback coach Buck Pierce. He was picked off five times in the 45-23 loss to Saskatchewan in the 2011 game. A record Buck would prefer we all forget or at least maybe have someone else to share it with. But for guys like Justin Goltz and Matt Nichols, who picked up their first wins as a starter for Winnipeg in the Banjo Bowl, Goltz in 2013, Nichols two years later, they don't flinch at the first sound of a little picking on the old banjo. And it will be really sweet for Bomber Nation if the Blue and Gold can deliver their first ever third straight win in the 2017 edition. All right, Doug, before we look ahead to uh, Saturday's Banjo Bowl, we're going to do something called Too Much or Too Funny. We've already determined that the faking of the injuries was too much. Some people would call it too funny, especially if you look at the uh, face of uh, at least one of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders heading off the field. He insists that he was in pain. One of the defensive linemen, his name escapes me right now. Uh, of course, he had a giant club on his hand and it was suffering with a previous injury. Anyway... Let's do this. Too much or too funny? Rider fans handing out L's after the game qualify that? Tell me, is that too much or too funny? That's too funny. Like, I don't know if you saw the video, but there was a video going around the internet where some Rider fan had actually cut out the letter L and was handing them out, trying to hand them out to Bomber fans that were leaving the game. To me, that's what football and entertainment is all about. Coming up with creative ways to kind of rib and insult your opponent but you don't take it too far, right? And this is hilarious. This is sharp. This is clever. And he's handing out literal L's after the game. That is too funny. That's not too much. So he's crossed the line, but he's holding on to it. Like he's kind of like stretched out there. The line, he's at least got one hand on the line. I think it's still, it's in very much in good nature. I think that's too funny. I saw that. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself but laugh. Obviously, even though, you know, we have nothing invested in the game, but you'd like to see your, your home team do well, obviously. Trying to take off the mascot's head. Is that too much or is that too funny? I think that's that's too much. That's definitely too much. Um, 
It's uh, because there is, you know, sometimes if I think if you're at a game and you're drinking too much, you forget there's actually a person inside that. There is. I thought Dana was an actual <laughs> a lot of oversized, sport. overgrown gopher. <laughs> it's news to some people, but uh, with all the mascot on mascot violence you see promoted on TV, mm-hmm. sometimes I think fans forget that it's not uh, appropriate for them to involve themselves uh, to that degree. But uh, definitely too much in that regard. Um, even though the the visual, wow, that was something to say. Honestly, just the the statements and the announcements after the fact that once again a small percentage of Ryder fans got really upset about. It might have been their son in that in that costume, but definitely too much interfering, any kind of physical hands on uh, stuff with any part of uh, of the opposition, be it uh, team, players, staff, mascots, whatever. Too much. The mascot may be smiling on the outside, but he's crying oh, on he was the upset. inside. He was upset. Trying to build a beer snake at an opposition stadium. Is that too much or is that That's just too funny? Too funny? I, I, it's harmless, right? It's it's entirely allowed at IGF, right? The the, the bombers when once Wade Miller took over, they reinstated the beer snake, right? And it's something uh, that that fans do to amuse themselves. It's often when the game is not very close, one way or the other. But it's uh, it's, it's just, a calling card of Winnipeg Blue Bomber yeah, fans it's, it's here, there, or anywhere. Yeah, right? it's signature. So to do it once again to take that on the road and for it to be shut down to me once again, uh, my hats off. I think that's hilarious. I think that's too funny. Doesn't really hurt anybody. I don't know why you would get upset about it. So not a problem in my books. Throwing bags of chips, we talked about this a little bit, throwing back bags of chips that were thrown into the stands, uh, definitive on this, too funny, or is it too much? Oh, it's too funny. Once again, it's after that baseball, that hockey tradition, that baseball tradition where a puck comes over, a baseball comes into, you know, it's given to you from the opposition, and if you're a diehard loyalist, what do you do? You want no part of that. You throw the ball back, you throw the puck back, and in this instance, you throw the bag of chips back on the field because you don't want any of their gratitude or or favors. So there you go. Spitting on Deron Carter, is that too much or is that too funny? That's uh, too much. Uh, as much as I do not uh, agree with many of the things uh, on the resume of Deron Carter in terms of uh, – his different stops in the CFL and and what has happened, uh, you never you know you never disrespect a player to that manner. That's that's actually uh, something very serious and and disrespectful. And, and you don't like to see fans. That's that's way over the edge, right? That is something that is way too much and something that can lead to serious consequences as well. So uh, whether you like the player or not, it's just something you don't do. Too much or too funny. On the Doug Brown Blue Bomber podcast, we'll be right back to you. Set up the Banjo Bowl. We've got among the most inefficient healthcare systems in Canada right here. So tell me why anyone would defend the status quo. Jeff Courier, weekdays 10 to 1 on 680 CJOB. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. I'm Greg Mackling, and we want to send you to a Winnipeg Blue Bomber game, including the Banjo Bowl. Banjo is our secret word to get in on those free tickets. 204-780-6868, the number again. A little slower this time. 204-780-6868. Simply type in the word banjo and text to that number, 204 704- 780-6868. Good luck. We'll see you at the Banjo Bowl, courtesy the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown.
Welcome back to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. All right, Doug, three or four minutes here. Let's talk about what the Blue Bombers need to do. We talked about already the fact that Chris Jones is implementing this defense where he will drop nine players into coverage on defense, maybe part of the key to their success over the the last little while. But that only works, as you alluded to, if they get the lead first. Yeah, you, you have every expectation in this home game. Uh, Banjo Bowl, the first sold-out crowd of the year at IGF. Uh, the whole decibel meter thing is going to be there to compare and contrast to what it was like at Mosaic. And I think the Bomber fans are are going to change the fortunes of this game and certainly the start of this game, right? Who We would be very surprised to see this proud football team make the kind of mistakes that would lead to them to be in such a hole so early in the game in the first quarter when the crowd's going to be insane. So I think uh, that defense uh, played by Chris Jones is less of a problem if you can get out and be successful out of the gate, if you can front run, if you can impose your will and uh, force them to respond to what you're doing, right? So as as an offense that's running the ball successfully, you've got those two backs, you've got a great short game, short and intermediate game, force that defense uh, to not only stack the box, put more people in the line of scrimmage, and have to respect that middle of the football field. And you can do that as long as you're not down by one, two, or three scores like we saw in Saskatchewan. So what do you do? Do you come out throwing first in order to relax that uh, those nine men that have uh, dropped out of the box and are in coverage, or do you run right from the get-go? Uh, you know, I'd love to see them just try to pound this football and try to establish the line of scrimmage and, and force the, the Saskatchewan hand in terms of, uh, you know, using a four-man front and, and having seven or eight players Force in the Force them box. into a traditional Exactly, defense. and then that opens things down the field for you, right? You have to be able to play action. You have to have Saskatchewan respect that play action ability. They have to be able to, if they're not respecting the run or they know you're in a situation where it's it's futile for you to run the ball, why would they bother uh, committing guys to the box? So um, it, it's all going to be about the start and, and the circumstances. And if the Bombers can maintain... Uh, their identity and those characteristics that have made them so successful, made them a 7-3 football team at this part, in terms of ball security, ball control, in terms of swarming defensively and taking it away, which they only did one time against Saskatchewan, that's going to be the keys to them switching, reversing their fortunes and being successful in the Banjo Bowl. Are these Saskatchewan Rough Rider receivers just too big for the Winnipeg secondary? I don't know about too big, but they're they're dynamic. They're very good, right? They're, uh, you know, Duran Carter, love him or hate him, you have to respect his talent and his ability on the football field. They use him in so many different ways. He even returns kicks, you know, and he's just such a talent out there. So uh, you'd like to see guys um, really gang tackle and really try and, and up the physical ante playing against those receivers. You might catch the ball on us, but we're going to make you pay every time we bring you down. Yeah, exactly. And that's where they've had success with guys swarming, guys stripping the ball out, um, you know, and really being cagey and athletic in that secondary. That's why how they forced so many turnovers last year. Obviously, it's going to start with pressure up front as well, which we didn't see too much of against Kevin Glenn. So it starts with the, the pressure from the defensive line. And then you got to have guys breaking on routes, playing aggressively and playing physically against those receivers. That's really your only chance in this game. Both you and I have an affection for Kevin Glenn for different reasons from different points of view. We did not see Kevin Glenn be Kevin Glenn the other 
side of the quarterback who tends to make mistakes from time to time in Regina last weekend. Is there a better chance we see it this weekend? Yeah, well, you, you just want a scenario where he's got to force the ball downfield. That's how you take advantage of it, where he's put in high-pressure situations uh, you know, and instead of taking a sack or in, instead of, uh, you know, throwing the ball into the ground, he's he's putting it downfield into ill-advised scenarios, right? You want to see the Bombers in the, the context of a game get to that point, and then I think they've got a, a, a great shot. But when he's got time back there and he's in rhythm and his receivers are, are you know, making the kind of yards after catch and contact like they were doing the Labor Day Classic makes it real difficult to get him to disrupt him and get him out of that rhythm. Did we miss any of the other keys that uh, may drive the Blue Bombers to victory here? Uh, well, I, I think uh, you know with what happened and uh, the some of the unethical stuff we saw going. I think somebody's going to be going into his war chest and uh, coming out with some special teams. Uh, uh, unseen before in football, some special trick plays. I would not be surprised at all if Mike O'Shea really buckles down on this game and says, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a block here. We're going to do a fake here. We're gonna... I don't expect him to ask his players to sit down on the football field if they see uh, something happening to their disadvantage, but I do expect him to push the boundaries of what is allowed in the framework of the rules in the CFL. Can you imagine the first time, if it happens, a Saskatchewan Roughrider player takes a knee in what looks to be a suspicious circumstance. The place will go ballistic. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, that football team is received. And like you say, our the fans in Winnipeg, uh, they're a different nature. They're a different breed. They're loud. They're extremely intelligent. And do they ever know how to get after a certain player? Or, or you know, we saw this in hockey with the Jets many, many a time. The chance that they come up with to rattle somebody, it's it's uh, it's quite insane when you combine, you know, that kind of intelligence with that kind of enthusiasm as, as a fandom. It's uh, It could be a very interesting and difficult day for some Rough Riders, but we'll see. You know, the proof the players got to get that support, they got to play well enough to get that fan base engaged. And, you know, the Riders are a good football team, so we'll see what happens. This rivalry, I think, is as healthy as it's been since 2007, fair oh, to say. Oh, the anticipation after what happened at the Labor Day Classic? Maybe maybe you know? even larger. Wow. Wow. I mean, it, it, you can't even get tickets. You know, I, I don't get... A, I don't get asked for tickets to uh, a lot of Bomber games anymore, but we're talking from everybody came out of the woodwork that want to be at this game, so it should be fantastic. What are we going to see? Blue Bombers victory? I think they're going to pull it out. Yeah, I think they're going to respond. There, there've been a team there that's responded very well to adversity and and uh, uh, surprised us. And I think uh, I think they're going to be highly motivated to right some wrongs in this game. Doug Brown and I will agree this week. Last week we disagreed. This week we agree. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers will be eight and three following the Banjo Bowl. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading, sharing, and commenting on the Blue Bomber Podcast. For Doug Brown, I'm Greg Mackling. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.